wonder if you all can take just a moment and think about a time when you took uh, some sort of special trip. Maybe it was a family vacation or a work trip. Maybe it was a trip that you took while you were in high school or college. It could have been a pilgrimage or a mission trip that you took with St. John's Church or some, some other church to the Kwasa Center or to the Holy Land or to some other special place. Or maybe it was simply a, a trip to a local museum or spe- special exhibition happening here in, in D.C. I wonder as you call to mind one of those trips, what the, the highlight of that trip was for you. Was it spending time with Uh, another special person? Was it going to a new place where you had never been before? Was it meeting new people, making new friends? Was it uh, learning something new or important that that changed the way that you look at the world? What was unique? What was special about that trip for you? I've told some of you about a backpacking trip that I took when I was in when I was in high school during the summer, <clears throat> excuse me, after my sophomore year, I went with seven other students and four t-shirt teachers on a, a backpacking trip to the mountains of western Wyoming, the Wind River Mountain Range, which is a part of the, the Rocky Mountains. And this was a backpacking trip that would have us out hiking for 19 days. I'm not quite sure how or why I was selected to go on this trip. I had never been backpacking or hiking more than just about a day, but I and the other students were excited to go on this trip, and so we spent several months preparing ourselves for this experience. The flatlands of Indiana, where I grew up, are quite a bit different than the mountains of Wyoming, and so we spent some time learning how to read topographic maps, how to pack our packs in the proper way, how to scare away bears should we encounter any while out hiking, how to treat water so as to make it drinkable, and lots of other important things. Now take a minute and imagine the first day of our backpacking trip. I'll set the scene for you. There is 15-year-old Andy Olivo, all five foot two inches of him, about 110 pounds, carrying a pack that weighs about 50 pounds on his back for this two-week-plus journey. You have that picture in your mind. (laughs) I can remember on the first day of the trip, about a mile into this hike, the persistent thought that was running through my head was, I have made a big mistake. What am I doing here? How can I do this for 18 more days? Will they notice if I just turn around and head back to the van? I'm I'm glad to say that it got better. It was a a great trip, a fantastic trip, trip, and the, the highlight for me was when we hiked up so high into the mountains that we were above the tree line for several days, and then at night we would sit around the fire talking to each other, and we would just sit and look at the stars, and I can remember, I can remember vividly being changed by that experience and wanting it to last forever. Have you all had experiences like that? That's, that's what I think of when I hear this, this gospel reading for today. One of the things that happens on this Sunday, the last Sunday after the Epiphany and the Sunday immediately preceding Ash Wednesday, is that we always hear the story of a trip up a mountain, the story of the transfiguration of Jesus. This Sunday is often called Transfiguration Sunday for that very reason, and it's, it's from this story that the common phrase to have a, a mountaintop experience finds its roots. 
The transfiguration of Jesus is told in all three synoptic gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and there are just a few small differences in each account. This lectionary year is year C, and so we are listening to Luke's version today. Luke tells us that Jesus takes three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up a mountain where this spectacular event is to take place. Once on this mountain, mysterious, frightening, jaw-dropping things begin to happen, and we're told that other unexpected visitors arrive. Moses, the great lawgiver, and Elijah, the poetic prophet, appear. And this is the, the storyteller's way of making it very clear to us, the hearers, that Jesus is completing the work of these two giants of the faith. Moses represents the law, Elijah represents the prophets, and Jesus has now come into the world to fulfill all that was spoken about him in the law and the prophets. We're told that when the three sleepy disciples see this conversation taking place, Peter decides that he wants to act. It's always Peter who wants to act. He says, Master, this is a good thing. This is a great thing. Let's build three booths, three dwellings, three houses, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Let's stay here forever, he seems to be suggesting. I like what Fleming Rutledge, the great Episcopal preacher, says about this story. She writes, It's part of our fallen human nature to want to build booths and ski lodges and resorts on on the top of mountains. She says we we don't want to come down from on high. We want the the romance to go on indefinitely. And if, if it doesn't, then we'll do all that we can to make it last forever. Peter doesn't want to come down from on high, and and truth be told, when we have similar experiences with God or with others, we usually don't want to come down either. It's, It's escapism at its best. Let's stay here in this wonderful moment forever and forget about everything else in the world. Have you ever said something like that to yourself? It's, it's a wonderful idea, but we know it, it isn't practical. It doesn't actually work. Well, as as Peter is talking, he is abruptly cut off when the clouds roll in and the thundering voice from heaven starts to speak. This is my son. This is my beloved. With him I am well pleased, says the voice. And this isn't the first time, if you remember, that this this voice from heaven tells us just who Jesus is. In the gospel accounts of Jesus' baptism, we also hear about a voice from the clouds telling us that Jesus is God's son, the beloved one. And on this mountaintop, the voice makes that same proclamation, but adds something else. The voice says, listen to him. Listen to the beloved one. Listen to God's son. Listen in and focus your attention on Jesus the Christ. What a What a great reminder for each one of us as we prepare to begin our Lenten journey in just a couple of days. Listen to Jesus. Focus on on Jesus. I need to hear that message over and over again. Don't get distracted by all of the other things that pull you away from the good news of Christ, but instead strive to listen to Jesus more and more every day. Now, there's another small note that Matthew tells in his story, uh, his transfiguration account, that's a little bit different than Mark and Luke's versions of the story. Jesus Matthew tells us when when he is transfigured, begins to emit a bright light. Jesus' face, Matthew alone tells us, begins to shine like the sun as he is transfigured. That's what Matthew says. 
It's what the Greek word metamorpho means, to be transfigured, to have one's external form changed or altered in some way. But this word metamorpho can also have another meaning. It can also mean to undergo some sort of spiritual internal transfiguration. St. Paul uses it in that way when he talks to the Romans in Romans chapter 12. He says that we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Metamorpho can be external, but it can also be an internal transformation. It seems that today this word is pretty clearly being used to talk about Jesus's external transformation as he starts to shine bright like the sun. But what if the word could also be used to talk about the the internal spiritual transfiguration that comes from spending time with Jesus? Maybe the disciples, Peter, James, and John, maybe they were metamorphosed too. Maybe they were transfigured, changed as well, just by being on that mountaintop with Jesus. Luis asked some of us at our weekly staff meeting this past week if we thought that Jesus was changed on the mountaintop or the disciples were changed in how they, how they saw Jesus. And some of us answered one way, some of us answered another way. I took the Anglican way and said that I think it's both. Because of Jesus' transfiguration, we too can be transfigured. Stanley Hauerwas, who's maybe the, the greatest theologian living right now, said that this transfiguration begins, we first experience it in our baptism. He says, a people transfigured by such a baptism, a people who have been told whose they are, cannot help but be an alternative to the politics of the world. The politics of the world, he writes, is a politics that depends on cleverly devised myths that inevitably promise more than they can deliver. He says, only a people so transfigured, a people who have, through baptism, stared down death, only then can we sustain the long, arduous struggle against injustice. To say that another way, when we are transfigured in our baptism, we are set on a mission, a mission which at times runs counter to the various political systems of the world. It's a a mission against injustice, a mission against hatred, a mission against exploitation of people. As transfigured people, our mission is to resist evil, to proclaim the good news, to seek and serve Christ in all persons, to strive for justice and peace among all people, all the while, all the while, reflecting the glory of our radiant, bright, transfigured Lord. Transfiguration happens, as one of my priest friends likes to say. Transfiguration happens to us. It happens in our baptism. It happens when we pray. It happens in EFM. It happens in Sunday school. It happens when we listen to beautiful music. It happens when we serve others. It, it happens when we come together for worship. Transfiguration happens. And so today, Jesus invites each one, each one of us to make our way up the mountain with him and to experience, to witness his transfiguration and then to allow our lives to be transfigured too. And then, and then we have to head back down the mountain. We have to 
go back down into the world. We can't stay up there forever. We have to head back down to the mountain, down, down the mountain, and when we get back down, we have to enter again into the messiness of life. And, and that's when we begin the work of transfiguration in this world. Thank you.